Pints with Jack, Season 2, Episode 12. The Great Divorce, Chapter 8. The Self-Conscious Ghost. Friends, welcome to the Pints with Jack weekly podcast, where David and I have the distinct privilege of enjoying a drink together, unpacking the writings of C.S. Lewis, and discovering the truth and beauty of Christianity. We are currently in Season 2, in unlocking the treasures hidden within our favorite C.S. Lewis work, The Great Divorce. My name is Matt, and I am joined by my dear friend David. As we'll learn in this episode, is a person who has allowed me to feel comfortable being seen, or in this case, heard, by allowing me to lean on him throughout this journey of Pints with Jack. (laughs) Yeah, only heard though. I don't think either of us are quite ready to be seen that often. Yeah, well, yeah, we, we haven't released or even done any more recording for the video series. So I think that was a little bit more than we could handle. <laughs> one one season of videos was it. That's all this being seen that we could do. Yeah, we'll see. I'm going to gonna moisturize for a while and <laughs> oh, God. apply some beauty products and we might be back before the end of the year. Who knows? I like how that's what you go with. I would say I need to hit the gym. I need to bulk up and go the beach and get a little bit of a tan. <laughs> You're moisturized and apply some beauty products. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) The quote of the week. The quote of the week this week is from the self-conscious ghost, who is a lady who is very concerned about her appearance. She asks, How can I go out like this among a lot of people with real solid bodies? It's far worse than going out with nothing on would have been on Earth. Have everyone staring through me. That'll make a lot more sense. So will my somewhat cheesy introduction on David allowing me to be seen slash heard. <laughs> if you haven't read the chapter, that don't make that won't make any sense. But as you're seeing with this quote of the week, this is all related. Yeah, I actually think most of our preamble will usually not make any sense if people haven't read the chapter. But that's why we did the the summary, which is why we always then jump to the drink of the week. We, we, we meander on about things that no one really cares about and doesn't make sense yet. And then we jump to the important part, the drink, which normally is a good scotch or a good beer. But again, because we're in Lent, we've got a couple more weeks or a few more weeks of this uh, boring La Croix in my case. Uh, I am also joining you in the La Croix today. I am having the Pomplemousse flavor which is French for grapefruit. <laughs> What's well, French for lemon? Limon. Limon. Oh, actually, hang on. No, sorry. That's Spanish. The French for lemon is citron. Ah, there we go. So anyways, cheers. Cheers. Ah, You know, it does taste good, though. It does taste very good. And on that cheersing note, we should be cheersing to being halfway through the book. Yeah. In only 11 episodes in, unlike Mere Christianity, where what was halfway through 24? Five? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> it was insane. This one's only 11 or 12. So we have some, though, reviews here that we should share a little bit here. And not out of vanity or ego, but out of encouraging others to review. So that way we get boosted on the iTunes and can evangelize better. But a little bit of vanity as well. Yeah, so we tell ourselves. So how about you read the first one? Okay. Uh, This one was from iTunes, and it's entitled Time Well Spent. I've been listening to the podcast for about half a year, and I'm loving it. I just got through the episode on time, season one, episode 31. I laughed more than usual, 
but also found myself very stimulated from the conversation. Matt and David do an excellent job, and you now have one more devoted listener. Now, whoever wrote that, thank you. Yes, and catch up. (laughs) (laughs) Season 1, episode 31. Oh my goodness. You have so many more hours of listening to us to go. (laughs) Yeah, what a pleasure. And they're right about where uh, my mother is, too. (laughs) Maybe it is your mother. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. In the next review is from Podbean, which, what is Podbean, by the way? So Podbean is one of the many podcast networks that we're on. So you've got iTunes, you've got Google Play, you've got TuneIn. So this is another one of those networks where people can subscribe and listen to us. And it was purely by chance. I checked the website and saw that we had a review there. This podcast is fantastic. David and Matt do a great job distilling the wisdom of C.S. Lewis in the tough and misunderstood aspects of the Christian faith in casual and enjoyable way. I always look forward to listening. Well, first of all, I think C.S. Lewis does a good job distilling the wisdom down and makes it very easily presentable. We're just the conduit that takes what he says. But thank you for that. One other thing I wanted to mention before we get to the episode. Uh, A little while ago, I posted a graphic on the C.S. Lewis Reddit group, and it related to Lewis's diary entry upon first meeting J.R.R. Tolkien for the first time. And he described Tolkien as a smooth, pale, fluent little chap. No harm in him, only needs a smack or so. Within about an hour, it had about 50 (laughs) upvotes. So apparently people can really relate to that. Are they relating to this idea of Tolkien? Do they all want to just see Tolkien as a person that wants to be smacked around or needs to be smacked around a little bit? Or are they relating to the, just the humor of Lewis and the way he describes them? I'd be curious. Or it could simply be that people also have very close friends who on occasions they just want to slap. <laughs> but definitely not podcast partners. I'm going to do the 150 word summary. <laughs> Cue the music. Lewis is feeling miserable after meeting the hard-bitten ghost. The environment seems filled with danger, so he makes his way towards the thicket of trees for cover. There, he sees a well-dressed ghost trying to hide from one of the bright spirits, who invites her to go to the mountain. How can I go out like this among a lot of people with real solid bodies? It's far worse than going out with nothing on would have been on Earth. Have everyone staring through me. The ghost tries to comfort her and asks, Could you, only for a moment, fix your mind on something not yourself? But to no avail. The spirit blows a horn which summons a herd of stampeding unicorns. The ghost screams, and Lewis says he thinks she makes a bolt towards the spirit. But he himself also flees from the scene. I really appreciate you doing those because I don't know how the listeners... If they've read this a week ago, if they haven't read it at all, it's super helpful. It's a good summary. Even myself, who just read this in the last 24 hours, you forget. You're going through it. In our case, you're unpacking it. You're looking at the different paragraphs, and you forget to put the whole big picture together. And this is just like, oh, yeah, that was a really big picture that happened. (laughs) Yeah. So I appreciate that. You're welcome. A quick recap. Last week, we followed the hard-bitten ghost. And he had a conversation with Lewis about how this, if we want to call it, quote unquote, this heavenly experience, this place that they're at, is the same old story that he's heard his entire life. 
those in charge constantly promise that if you just commit to it, it will get better. Because as we've seen, this is this ultimate reality is very tough to handle, very hard to walk on. There's this fear. We keep seeing that happening. And he goes, this is what we've been told in every aspect of life. It'll just get easier with time. If you study Latin, it'll get better. If you just stick with marriage, it'll get better over time. And he's been constantly disappointed and just thinks this is that same story. And as David pointed out, in reality, he's a person who is very closed off. He can't experience joy. He can't experience hope. And he's not very open to vulnerability. In the beginning of this chapter, picks right up from that, where we see for the first time, because of that conversation last week, doubt entering into C.S. Lewis's mind. We see that that conversation somehow got to Lewis, and for the first time, he's questioning this idea that these spirits, or even this place, is safe, has his best intentions in mind. And he even goes so far as asking the question, what if these spirits, these solid people, really are just allowing us to come up here from the gray town to mock us? What if there's actually no ability for us to stay up here? And he even brings up the book of Revelation in here, in something that I never even knew was in the book of Revelation. I've not read it from beginning to end. But it says apparently in Revelation that the smoke of hell goes up forever in the sight of the blessed spirits. And so he's painting this picture that we're seeing here of this fear that maybe he, th- this is that example of the, the smoke going up to heaven and they're just being made fun of. But have you ever come across this verse before? Yeah, I think it's in about chapter 14. Uh, I would say for anybody that wants to read the book of Revelation, my number one book suggestion is Coming Soon by Dr. Michael Barber. And what I think is really good about that book is it's very practical. He really breaks down the practical consequences for reading the book of Revelation, the spiritual truths that it has to speak to us today. But, you know, without being crazy and conspiratorial. (laughs) But the book of Revelation actually isn't the only example he gives. He also talks about uh, Cowper. I think he's referring to William Cowper, who was an 18th, 19th century poet. I think he was also a hymn writer. And in preparation for this episode, I googled him. And when I saw a picture of him, I realized that I had included him on Wise Words on Wednesday. And so for people who don't know, on my blog, restlesspilgrim.net, every Wednesday I post a quotation that I think is really smart. And so I went and searched for it. And this was the William Cowper line I'd previously posted. He said, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon their knees. Mm, That's really good. Mm, Lovely, isn't it? But Cowper himself, he actually had quite a tragic life and he had some quite severe mental health issues. Uh, I read that he tried to commit suicide multiple times and he was paranoid. He was convinced that he was condemned to hell. So he mentions Book of Revelation, Cowper, but he also mentions Tantalus. Do you know who Tantalus is? No, way, way way to make me look bad because I did research Cowper and I didn't research Tantalus, so you, you <laughs> took the one that I researched, and then you throw the one I didn't on me. No, I have no idea who Tantalus is. So he was the son of Zeus and a nymph who was called Pluto. And there are a few different versions of his story. The bottom line is he commits some sort of crime. In one version, he's telling the secrets of the gods. 
In another one, he's testing them by feeding them his dead son in a dish. And in another one, he's hiding a magic dog. But Wow, talk about variation. Yeah. But the bottom line is that he offends the gods in some way. And so, as punishment, he's thrown into Tartarus. Uh, it's the deepest pit of the underworld. And he's made to stand in a pool of water. And above him, there's a tree with low-hanging fruit. And we're told that when he bends down to drink the water, it recedes and drains away. And then whenever he reaches up to eat, it lifts out of reach. <laughs> and so he is forever tantalized, as the hard and ghost pointed out, by food you can't eat and water you can't drink. So all of this, bringing this back to what we were, is this doubt that Lewis is starting to think this could be one big joke. The hard-bitten ghost convinced him, or at least didn't convince him, wrong word, planted a seed in his mind that made him think, maybe that's right. Maybe this is a joke. And it does kind of tie in with Lewis's own life, because when he was an atheist, he doubted the existence of God because of suffering in the world. Or if he said if there was a God, he was, certainly wasn't good. And so we're sort of seeing that play out in his character here in The Great Divorce. It's not playing out on earth, but actually in the foothills of heaven. There's another thing happening here in relation to this, the sense of danger we see for the first time with Lewis. We saw it with some... Well, not for the first time. He says that this has been in the background the entire time. Mm -hmm. It's just now the volume on it has been turned up. He's reminded of how dangerous everything is here. Gotcha. He even goes so far as he says, everything looks sinister and dangerous. And he points out that if an insect hit his face, would it go through him? Terror whispered, this is no place for you. That line right there, terror whispered, this is no place for you. And so he felt like he needed to get some cover. And he even went so far as asked the question of, I can't find any evidence that I belong here or I can live here. I'm going back to the bus. But he is looking for it. Yes. He actually wants to stay. He's looking for some hope. Yes. He's doubting, but he is searching for the truth. And that's very important. I, this is a, a good opportunity to mention, and I love connecting this to our, our journeys and people's journeys in general. What have we seen so far here with the Lewis character as he's, as he's growing and being transformed? We've talked about theosis. This whole book is that process of, of through grace being transformed to be able to get closer to God and accept reality. Fear and doubt is potentially stopping Lewis. We all experience that early in our journey. And David, I love what you just said. As much as he's experiencing it, he's still not stopping looking for answers mm -hmm. or looking for a reason to stay or keeping hope. So it's not that those are bad. That's okay to be afraid. It's okay to have doubt, but never stop searching. That's the key. And you're exactly right. He, he never turned back. It crossed his mind, but he kept looking to go forward. And I love how Lewis, just through this book, the more we go through this slowly, you see all of these great examples. As he's experiencing this fear, he wants to seek cover in this wooded area. He doesn't want to be in the open. So as he's going in that direction, he eventually does come to this clearing and he sees this ghost hobbling across. He describes the ghost as a well-dressed woman and she is walking in fear. So again, she's walking in fear too. We continue to see this with the ghosts. Well, he says that it had been a woman, a well-dressed woman, but its shadows of finery looked ghastly in the morning light. Mm -hmm. Basically that on earth she had been very well-dressed. 
but her finery looks ghastly in the light of heaven. I like, I'm glad I didn't catch that point. So I'm glad you brought that up because that's just a really good example of the treasures that we store up here on earth don't, don't really matter in heaven. You can have the nicest car, the nicest clothes, the nicest house. It won't matter at all. I don't think saints are arguing before the throne of God about who had a better 401k. <laughs> no. So as she's trying to find cover in the bushes, the bright spirit comes. And I want to read just a bit of this very first interaction, a few sentences here. She says, go away. Can't you see I want to be alone? The spirit responds, but you need help. And she says, if you have the least trace of decent feeling left, you'll keep away. I don't want help. I want to be left alone. Go away. I thought to myself, I don't know if you, if this crossed your mind at all. It's just a small point, but how often on our journeys, we've gone through trials and tribulations. We've experienced pain, suffering, and, we've, and through that, we've grown and we've learned some nugget of wisdom. And we see someone maybe at a different point in their journey that's going through that, and we want to help them and we offer some advice or we try to offer them a hand and they say, don't, go away, stop helping me. Like they, they, re, they, they reject and resist your help. It's a very tough thing because they think you're being arrogant or you better than me. And that's not the case at all. I don't think people always think that someone trying to help them is arrogant. I'd actually just say it's quite a common human reaction to when we have problems rather than dealing with them and being vulnerable enough with somebody to accept help. We just want to nurse our wounds by ourselves. And that can be for a whole load of reasons. Sometimes it's just because we think we should be able to deal with them by ourselves. I can relate to that last part too. It's an insecurity, but when someone tries to help me, I think, I can do it on my own. I don't need your help. But the truly strong person is someone who can be vulnerable and accept help, particularly when they need it. And that's why I've had on multiple occasions, priests tell me in confession, be careful of thinking you're self-sufficient. You can do it on your own. I get that quite a bit. <laughs> but in response to this, the spirit reassures the ghost about her transparency. He said, that'll all soon come right. But he points out that she's going in the wrong direction. She wants to go up to the mountains. That's where she needs to go. And he says that you can lean on me all the way. He tells her that he can't just carry her. But if she leans on him, she'd need to put almost no weight on her own feet. And he tells her that with every step, it will hurt less. Mm, that's grace right there. Mm -hmm. That's a tangible, visible representation of grace. We talk about it all the time in theosis. That's it right there. Like it, it is in the best way you could describe it. The thing that jumped out to me in this little section was that God is trying to help this ghost through this spirit. You said that this is, this is grace. And I agree, this is grace, but it's being mediated. It's being passed through this bright spirit. And this is the way it often is. This is why the church is a body. This is why Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. It's his life that's being passed on, but very often being passed on through members of that vine, members of that body. And what we see here is the ghost alludes to it will hurt less at every step, as if the pain is what's stopping her from moving forward. But what we learn, and we'll be able to relate to this so well, she goes, it's not the physical pain. You know, that's no big deal. For her, 
She says she can't stand the idea of being among solid people when she's this see-through. And David, you decided you described it earlier. She isn't she doesn't look well dressed anymore. In the the heavenly light, how did you describe it? It's the heavenly light shows the poor state of her finery. Yes. And that's what she's struggling with here. She doesn't want to be seen. And I would imagine there's a good chunk of it is just the the vein on the surface level, the way she looks. But I also wonder if there's something more here of being seen for who she truly is. Mm. Uh, and that ultimately is shame. That's a that's a, a, a struggle with self-worth. You don't want to be seen. So what you do is you have this pride in your ego that ends up masking that shame we learn in our lives. And so her ego, her pride, and we've talked about how all of these can be somewhat rooted in pride, is preventing her from stepping out. What's the big issue with pride? Well, it puts you in competition with God and it puts you in competition with others. So she can't handle being around these people that are better than her. I mean, technically, they're further on the spiritual journey. If your judgment of better is how far you're on the spiritual journey, quote unquote, they are better. And so these are the exact people that would be able to give her the hand to help her, to offer that grace, as you so beautifully put it. She can't do it. She can't accept it because she's in competition with them. And the funny thing is, is that competition is all in her head. Yes. Because these people are further ahead in the spiritual journey, they're not thinking about themselves. To use the language of Genesis, they're naked and unashamed. They're not thinking about themselves. They're not thinking about their appearance. They've returned to Eden, to that Edenic state, and they're looking to God. So her whole neurosis here, it's, it's self-defeating. She's preventing herself from advancing and experiencing joy. Nobody else is doing that apart from her. And the ghost's response is brilliant. He says, but we were all a bit ghostly when we first arrived, you know? That'll wear off. Just come out and try. I like that. That makes me think of G.K. Chesterton says, anything worth doing is worth doing badly. You have to recognize you're not going to be great at something in the beginning. That applies to spiritual journey. So let's say you've come away, you heard this great argument, you believe in God, you believe in Christianity, you want to give your life to it. You're not going to know all the theology stuff. You're not going to understand how to pray very well. You might be in a Bible study and you're too afraid to speak up. There's all of these things that will stop you from growing because you just think, I'm not like everyone else. They're way further than me. They're way more advanced. No. And in fact, the people who, quote unquote, are more advanced, want, they were all there too, and they want to help you. They're so excited that you're just open to this. And the way he phrased it there reminded me of Jesus' invitation to his disciples. When they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? He says, come and see. Yes, that come try, come see. How often is it just a simple invitation? It's not go do this, 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 this. It's not pass this test. It's just come see, come try, experience, encounter me. An encounter with Christ is just so important. And that's what we're called to do with people who haven't encountered Jesus, to invite them along. But the ghost offers this objection. She says, but they'll see me. And the spirit asks, well, what does it matter if they do? And she said, I'd rather die. And the spirit points out, you died already. (laughs) (laughs) Things can only get better. (laughs) But her approach to this is... is... (laughs) This sounds like 
Hermione Granger. We could be killed, or worse, expelled. expelled. <laughs> and I only know that line because you used that in another episode. <laughs> if you didn't know, my celebrity crush was always Hermione Granger. Anyway, returning to the text, <laughs> the ghost objection here is, is really kind of silly. She doesn't want to go out because she is afraid of what other people are going to think about her. And that's kind of like avoiding the gym for fear that other people there might think that you're overweight. Well, that's the place to go and be. <laughs> or avoiding going to church or avoiding the sacraments because people might know that you're a sinner. Well, newsflash, those are the only kinds of people who are allowed to receive them. <laughs> that's a really good point. You know, she's already passed through this great portal of death and she's still scared about her appearance and how other people are going to perceive her. And you've read the Space Trilogy. Did you read Paralandra? Yes, that's actually the one, one of the two that I read in full. It's the one you didn't skip. Good. Yes. Um, so in that book, there's a, a character who's a new Eve. She's unfallen. She's untainted by original sin and all of the consequences that go along with it. And she's really confused when she meets this traveler from Earth who she describes as standing alongside himself. He views himself as an object whereas she looks out into the world and actually not at herself. That's like these bright spirits, and that's the attitude that this ghost needs to take on. It is amazing when you think about how extreme sometimes we can be and get in the way, and honestly how insane we can be <laughs> with, with the things that will keep us from experiencing true joy, true happiness, uh, communion with God. She goes so far, though, because she's so stuck in how difficult this is, she even asks, why were you even born at all? And the ghost's response is just beautiful. For infinite happiness. And you can step out into it at any moment. We've talked about this a bit before, but that false self, true self. Shame is when you don't believe you're worthy. You don't really realize you are God's beloved. You are a beloved child of Christ. And so what happens when you don't believe that? Well, you put on this ego because the ego is what tries to get fed love from the world, that tries to get affirmed by the world, and that's the false self. And when that ego is shown for what it is, when that false self is revealed as just a mirage, something you've been putting on, not who you really are, that you are really a far smaller creature than you've been trying to pretend to be, that false self then rebels. Yes. And then you end up with what this character is doing, which is pushing everyone else away, because she's been shown lacking. Yeah, because she's, she's afraid of being hurt. She's afraid of being vulnerable. And that's exactly, that's what you do when we see this in life all the time. You push people away. Now that might sound all very negative, but that's actually also something that we really need to be able to recognize. If she can recognize reality, recognize her own sinfulness, her own lack, well then she can do something about it. Receive grace. It's while she's trying to do it on her own, she's going to get nowhere. Uh, Lewis actually wrote in The Problem of Pain, he said, Unless Christianity is wholly false, the perception of ourselves, which we have in moments of shame, must be the only true one. A recovery of the old sense of sin is essential to Christianity. Christ takes it for granted that men are bad. Until we really feel this assumption of his to be true, though we are part of the world he came to save, we are not part of the audience to whom his words are addressed we lack the first condition for understanding what he is talking about. 
Basically, that when we recognize that we lack, when we recognize that we're sinners, when we recognize that we only have this bios and we really need this zoe, then we can ask for help. St. Paul in Romans 7, when he's speaking about the law, he said it came so that sin could be revealed. So that when we measure ourselves up against the law of God, we realize that we fall short and therefore need his grace and therefore need his help. And the one other thing I would add, you somewhat allude to, but we need his grace, we need his help, and we're still loved. Mm -hmm. The world would tell us all of these things would not make us loved. And so that's where the ego comes in to try to convince ourselves we're loved. But God died for us even despite that. Even while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. Yes. But as you alluded to, we need that grace to go on that transformation process. I always say Jesus loves you as you are, but he doesn't keep you there. He loves you too much to leave you there. Yes, that's a great way of putting it. And as we've talked about, he's going to love you to the point where you become perfect, and it's going to be painful. And we see that in here. But we mentioned this infinite happiness. What does that look like? So you do everything David said. You expect, you accept that grace. You allow him to love you to become perfect. Just imagine for a second living out of that authentic self. Imagine you encountered the world from a place where you knew you were loved. You didn't have any ego. Like genuinely take a step back and think about that for a second. Every person you encounter, no matter how much they snap at you, no matter what they say, you just sit there with this, this amazing joy, this amazing peace of knowing that you are loved and you have a chance to pour into them. You're known by God. You know God. You're known by others. That's what we mean by infinite happiness. Like that, that is what is offered with Christianity. And that's what shame and pride get in the way of. And that's why Henry Nouwen argues that self-rejection, shame, is the greatest enemy to the spiritual journey. And this is something we all struggle with in the world today. And particularly because it's a subset of pride. And pride makes us look at ourselves and not out. And what we really need to do is be able to look out, to look to God, to look up. Because that's when all of this good stuff can come. And the next question would be, how do we achieve this? What does this look like? And the spirit says to the ghost, you need to drink the cup of shame to the bottom. Almost as if you have to lean into it. You have to go through it. You have to accept it. You have to understand, like as David said earlier, when you were talking about the law revealing our sinfulness, you almost have to go through it to then realize it has no power over you. And it's not true. It's a lie. It's a false narrative. But I thought that was interesting to describe drinking it to the very bottom. What, what did you make of that? I think it's the idea of acceptance. Insofar as, as, as long as she refuses to accept reality, as long as she refuses to see herself as she is, until she accepts that, nothing can be done. And actually the ghost confirms, I believe, that acceptance when he says, when you live into it, when you accept it, an hour hence and you will not care. A day hence and you will laugh at it. One of the things that I love about Christianity is, as I, and particularly C.S. Lewis, when he writes about it, is it really lines up with exactly that we've learned in psychology today. They talk about if you really want to overcome shame, there was this guy that gave a TED Talk and said, go lay on the street for 30 minutes as people just walk by you. Because once you do that long enough, you realize you don't actually care what people think. But right now, thinking of just literally laying in the, on the sidewalk as people walk by you wondering, what the heck is this guy doing? Sounds scary. He <laughs> says, do it for a half hour and you're, you'll be fine. And you'll really psychologically overcome some great barriers of shame. Same idea here. 
And also just think about all the things throughout your life that you've really struggled with and that really filled your vision for a time, uh, an objective, a task that just seemed impossible. Learning to ride a bike, learning to drive a car. It seems so insurmountable, but you think back to those moments now and you think, eh, it was, it was, it was difficult. There was, there was a learning curve, but on the other side of it, it now looks really small. <laughs> you realize, and I actually, the reason I'm laughing is I don't know if you intended to do this or this was natural, but you just came full circle with the hard bitten ghost of saying, this is the same old story we've been told over and over and over, except what you're pointing out is the story is actually true. You go through this and it does get better and it is beautiful on the other side. That's what Lewis is painting in the picture here. After the spirit's been talking to her and communicating near the end of their conversation, it's almost as if she starts to be subtly convinced and she goes, you really mean, and she stops talking. It's almost as if she's thinking. She's going, you know what, so you really mean if I, if I just go through with this, I can actually experience joy. I can get over this. I can be seen. That's what she's thinking. And he says, he, he's, as she stops, he's thinking, he goes, yes, come try. Exactly as you said earlier with Jesus, fits beautifully. There's so much wisdom in that. Sometimes all we have to do is come and try. Stop thinking about it. Just give it a try. Which was something that the hard bitten ghost said was impossible. Yes. She's getting closer than the hard-bitten ghost. But then at the end, she goes, I can't. I can't. She gives in. And then what happens next, after she says, I can't, really was profound. So you take this over here. For something profound, I feel like David needs to, to take this home. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. Yeah. Um, what happens next is surprising, amazing, fiendishly clever. The spirit blows a horn and suddenly they hear the pounding of hooves and there are all of these unicorns around them stamping their feet and kicking up their legs. And I went and checked because I wasn't sure how high a hand was. Uh, a horse that's 27 hands high is about three meters or nine feet tall. And the reason for the ghost doing this is hinted at in this chapter, but it's explained a little bit more later. But since we don't want to keep people in suspense... I'll just spill the beans. Can I speculate and then you tell me if I'm right? Okay, go for it. I don't remember what this later at all. When I read this, the I, reason I thought it was so profound is there was that one sentence where he says, sh he thinks she went to the spirit. So I interpreted it as this really fearful thing happened. You have these stampeding unicorns coming in and it made her afraid. To the point though, the fear pushed her towards the spirit. Allegedly, Lewis doesn't know for sure. And I thought to myself, how often has sometimes when we've, when we've, God's exhausted every option to overcome our free will, to try to persuade us to come to him, that he sometimes has to turn to this last resort where some event, some fear, some suffering, some pain almost like forces us to him as much as he can do that with still acting in free will. Yeah, I would say that's pretty much what I would say that Ghost was doing. Yes. He's tried to reason her out of her dilemma, and that hasn't worked. He's tried to coax her, so he creates a distraction to shock her out of it, to get her to look outside of herself. She, she actually sees these unicorns because the, the scene is terrifying, and something within her knows that if she goes to the spirit, she'll be safe. So she actually has little choice but to trust him. And... 
she's already out of her comfort zone at this point, so she might as well <laughs> throw her lot in with him. I, I love that. I mean, I've, I've gone through this book before, not in one fiftieth of the detail you and I are right now, and I never caught those little things. How Lewis is painting a picture in this entire chapter, honestly, in this book, but this chapter of the way that God pursues us through reason, through emotion, through fear and shock and awe. Because people sometimes, again, we go back to what arguments against God. People will say, well, if he's all powerful, why can't he persuade all of us to come? Well, he still has to work within free will. And so you can see examples here of how he does that. But you can also see how we can reject it at every step of the way. Well, I think that's a pretty good place to stop for today. Which means that we now get to the haikus. And I'm so excited because in our shared Google document, I saw some new things appear in this <laughs> section that I didn't write. I was going to text David today uh, as I attempted to write two haikus. And I was going to text David to, out of excitement just to get some sort of praise from him of some sort. And I thought to myself, I'd rather him stumble across this. <laughs> Probably more like to get some affirmation from him. Like, good job, that a boy. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. Well, I, I've written a couple as well. So uh, uh, you read one and I'll read one. Let's do that. All right. So this first one's purely about the self-conscious ghost. Afraid to be seen. Our shame is the enemy. Stop thinking of self. I counted the syllables. They were all good. That was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Here was my one for the self-conscious ghost. Shame now consumes me. I want to be by myself. Don't try to help me. Mm, it's a good one. So this one, the self-conscious ghost, Lewis and spirit. A few of the lessons all mixed in one. Unbearable pain. Can I even survive here? Yes. Just lean on me. Lean on me when you're not <laughs> strong. <laughs> that was really good. Really good. Uh, my second one, I wrote it from Lewis's point of view. Thundering, neighing, unicorns with gleaming eyes seen in mock battle. Mm, I like that. What a great way to end. Yes. Listeners, please send us some of your haikus. If even Matt's doing it. <laughs> I wouldn't get too excited that this is going to be a weekly thing, but I was feeling ambitious today. <laughs> but before we sign off, please feel free to contact us through restlesspilgrim.net or Pints with Jack website. You can do it through Twitter and Instagram at Pints with Jack. And join us next week as we go further up and further in. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.